I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, finding yourself in life's little moments. So, dear listener, sometimes interesting messages and insights come to me, and I've begun to realize that they come to me in different forms, that they take different forms. Sometimes they come to me in my own meditations and contemplations, sometimes when I'm sitting in my favorite place overlooking the ocean and talking to God. Sometimes they come to me as signs and symbols that might just appear as I'm making my way in my days. Sometimes they might come as music that I hear, happen to hear, and there's a message embedded in it that was the perfect message that I needed to uh, to be reminded of or to understand. Sometimes these kinds of insights come to me in the form of feeling, a feeling sense of things, things that I observe as I'm going about my my daily life. And sometimes they come in the form of dreams. Sometimes, interestingly, they may come in the form of someone else's dream. So this morning, a dear friend of mine wrote to me, sent me an email, and said to me, you know, I had an interesting dream last night, and it was about you, and I wanted to share it with you. So what I'm going to do here now, dear listeners, to read you what, what this person wrote. And they said, In my dream, you were sobbing about something. And it was as if I felt there was real shame about something that you were feeling and it was coming from you. And so I tried to comfort you and tell you that you were such a good girl. And when that happened, you started convulsing with cries and then went a bit limp. And you looked up at me and suddenly in my dream, you were changing from the present age to all these different periods in your life, back, back, back through the decades. As a friend of yours, I don't think of you as having much conscious shame, yet different qualities of this were pouring off you from different ages, and I could feel it. And then, in my dream, I saw you at about 15, about the age of 15, and you asked me if it was okay that you were really angry. And what I mean by that that anger was a kind of barely leashed anger that was profoundly intense. And I wish I had words for the degree of protectiveness that I felt for you. But also something like a father's or doctor's urgency that their daughter or patient get rid of that which is choking them, almost like expelling it. I have no idea about this but in your 15-year-old incarnation, you were wearing something like an oversized blue ski parka. It was so strange. So, dear listener, I can't help but 
be struck by this message that I just received. Because when you receive something like this, and it comes sort of out of the blue, in a sense, somebody shares something with you, and it's so singular and striking and essential in its personal meaning, then one has to stop. And in a way, making this podcast is my stopping. Because you see, I've been thinking a lot about my life. I am now approaching the end of six decades, and I'll be celebrating a pretty big birthday pretty soon. So it's interesting how at certain junctures in one's life, one reflects back, 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 and back on who one is. And you begin to have a kind of benefit, kind of the benefit of of hindsight. You know, you can have that benefit to some extent when you're 20 or 30 or 40. But one of the great things about entering into successive stages of one's existence is that hindsight is potentially enhanced and deepened and becomes resonant. And I feel that this message that came to me, really surprisingly, from this very good friend, was reflecting, it was a reflection on who I am, who I, who I was then, what had happened, and who I've become through these ages, what I've lived out in my life, over these six decades. Now, in this dream, and I actually really like to say again that I think dreams, certain kinds of dreams stand out. It's almost as if they kind of transcend and are in a different category to dreams that are dreams of things happening or, you know, different sorts of, I don't know how to say it, You know, the dreams that one has kind of almost as a matter of course. In my own experience, and certainly this is something that strikes me as as being in this category, certain dreams hold real meaning, like essential meaning. So when this person said that I was sobbing in this dream, and that I felt real shame about things, about something, they couldn't tell what it was, but that shame was coming off of me to the extent that that person who was having this dream wanted to draw me to them and tell me that I was such a good girl. Now, I have to tell you, dear listener, that in these past few months, I've shared a lot about my life. I've shared a lot about things that happened to me in my married life and so on. In my podcasts, I've shared a lot about things that happened when I was, you know, very young. But one of the things I haven't shared so much about is that after I was left by my dad when I was six and my world really really fell apart. I began to receive, people began to tell me, people around me, closest to me, began to communicate messages 
that were enormously hurtful. And those messages were that I wasn't a good girl, that I was actually a very bad girl, a very selfish girl. And here I was, you know, at these delicate moments, this delicate stage in my life, you know, trying to make my way, trying to begin to carve out a certain kind of existence after my dad left, a time which became increasingly fraught with insecurity for very good reason. And in the midst of all of that, though, this message began to come to me from from people who were closest to me. And that message was that I wasn't a good girl. In essence, that I wasn't worthy, you know, of love. So, you know, in the podcast that I made about losing my dad when I was that young and about how it would form and shape my choices for decades to come, I I sort of conjured a metaphor of a polar bear trying to make its way across what should be the secure, frozen terrain of the Arctic, but how given all of the things that are happening now in the world in climate changes that are occurring, that it no longer has sure footing, that its whole existence is now becoming one of insecurity, uncertainty, strife, stress. That was me at six when my dad left. So as I was trying to find my way across a terrain that was had broken up, I was simultaneously being given the message that I only cared about myself. And let's say, dear listener, that that is a very tragic kind of double whammy, all right? It's very tragic. And it left me no place to really move. You know, I endeavored to carve out my existence in the best way that I could through my music and my poetry and my art in nature with my beloved Flora, who had come to be with me when I was eight as my nanny. These were kind of the the stakes of meaning in my life. But they were stakes, dear listener, that were planted in uncertain terrain, no matter how beautiful any of those was and is. I was still walking on uncertain ground on those ice flows that should be all connected and provide the surest of footing that terrain but no longer was no longer was at all so I received this email today this message from this friend this dear friend 
and they say, I felt real shame about something that you were holding that was coming from you. And all I wanted to do was tell you that you were such a good girl. Now, dear listener, that's a gift. Okay, that's a gift. When someone has a dream like that, and they share it with you because they know there's something really profound about it, and then you receive it, and you realize that there's something really profound about it, that's a gift from God. And as soon as I opened this email this morning, I knew that it was. That's why I'm making this podcast. So they continue to describe the dream. And they say that as this was happening, as they perceived me feeling the shame, I began convulsing with cries and then went a bit limp. And I looked up at this person and suddenly began changing from the past, from the present age to all these different periods in my life, back and back and back through time, 40, 30, 20, and the teens. And they said to me, you know, I don't think of you as someone having much conscious shame. So I'm reading this again to you just to reinforce the meaning of this. And I think that's, in a sense, the persona that I do put forth. I mean, I'm deeply dedicated to what I do, to my teaching, to my music. What I share with people is something that gives me enormous joy and a sense of of meaning. But what's extraordinary is that all of this can be going on under the surface. You know, I've been trying endeavoring really to reveal the truth of what I know my experience has been in my marriage and, you know, my life. But, you know, something as as one begins to do that, you know, they talk about the layers, the levels, the layers of the onion. Deeper layers begin to emerge. You know, you don't even know that there are deeper levels there, deeper layers, but there are. So, that's what this dream speaks to, to me. So they say, I don't think of you as having much conscious shame. Shame, this is, I interpret that shame, that's not, to me, shame, that kind of shame isn't that I had done something really bad that I was ashamed of. This was something deeper. And the reason that I can even understand the nature of what I think was going on in this person's dream and what is, in fact, had been going on in my life then and continues to go on in my life now. Is because of reading that I've done about psychology, and particularly a man that I've encountered on Facebook who's a psychological activist, he calls himself, an ally to the marginalized voices inside each of us and the culture at large. So you see, it's that marginalized voice that is the domain of this kind of shame 
It's a shame that comes from internalizing everything that happened to one, to oneself, in a way that cannot be, is never given an opportunity to be metabolized, expressed, shared, brought out into the light of day. And it's interesting because I actually was just reading something that, that he wrote, this man, David Bedrick. I recommend him. And he said, you know, scores of books, magazines, posts, counselors, quote, healers and videos suggest ways to rid ourselves of disturbing feelings, behavior patterns, thoughts, bombarding us with messages that we're in need of correcting or reprogramming. And while some of this counsel is useful, The background idea that something is wrong with us, even that we can improve or grow, all right, this is big, often turns us against parts of ourselves and plants an insidious seed of shame into our psyches. Friends, he said, be careful when ideas of growth or change turn us against ourselves or are motivated by not liking ourselves as we are. Even when this attitude is subtle, it fosters the flowering of shame that ends up undermining the actual blooming of the flower we are. Dear listeners, this is profound. We're talking about something so deep in any of our lives and in the culture at large that it is invisible. So when my friend wrote me this dream, you know, when they wrote me this dream, I don't think of you as having much conscious shame, but different qualities of that, of that shame, were pouring off you from different ages. I could feel it. Right, This person, this friend of mine, this dream that they just had. And then the last sentence of this, this email, says, And then you at about 15, that's when I was there telling me, that's when I perceived you at the end of this dream, asked me if it was okay that you were really angry. And what I mean by that was an intensity of presence and a barely leashed anger that was profoundly intense. I wish I had words for the degree of protectiveness I felt, but something also like a father's or doctor's urgency that you expel this and let it go and and release it. So the shame part, you see, by the time I was 15, I mean, this is a very profound dream. This is what's incredible about the human psyche. You know, it's very interesting, dear listener, because I remember speaking with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, actually, And this man I just happened to meet here in Australia, 
one day walking on the beach and uh, we encountered each other and realized you know that we sort of started to talk about music and we both had this you know great interest in music but at a certain point I asked him I said what do you do and he said you know I'm a psychiatrist and I said oh good (laughs) I need one (laughs) I need one I was just leaving my marriage I was here in Australia trying to get my my head together as they say I need one I was really interested though in something I was really interested in asking him about one particular thing how a person releases trauma and he shared something really interesting he said to me well you know trauma is stored deep in the human psyche in the human body cellularly it's stored and it is so it becomes so intrinsic to a person that it can be passed down generations to the next generation and beyond and he told me about a story where a woman Jewish woman had suffered in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. She had been taken in during the period of World War II. As a Jew, she was taken into a concentration camp and held there and suffered the most unspeakable atrocities anyone could imagine and by some miracle she survived she would have been a young woman at that time and she emigrated ultimately to the United States and got married and began to have a family But she vowed within herself that she would never mention what she'd been through. Never. She'd never share it with her children. Not at all. Not a bit of it. She held all of this inside herself. But at a certain point, at a certain point, something strange began to happen, which is that her daughter who had grown into young teenagerhood began to have nightmares intense vivid overwhelming nightmares and those nightmares were about the kinds of horrendous experiences that her mom had had in those camps despite the fact that the daughter knew nothing about it, had never been told. That trauma had transmitted itself cellularly, psychically, etherically. It had transmitted itself from mother to daughter without a word being spoken. All right. So 
When I spoke to this psychiatrist on the beach here in Australia three years ago, and he told me that story, I thought, oh my gosh, what we carry within us is really something. And it's at deep levels. It's at deep levels. Now, this whole thing about shame comes into it in a very, very significant way. Because this other psychologist, David Bedrick, proposes, and it's quite convincing, that when someone's trauma, when someone's pain, when whatever it is that's happened to that person has not been witnessed and held in the loving light of another human being, it begins to enshroud you, begins to enshroud enshroud one. And one begins to turn all of that upon oneself. So you see, that's what was happening to me when I was young, dear listener. I came out of a situation where, you know, my dad left, my world fell apart. I was like that polar bear trying to find sure footing, and there was none of it around. None of it. And then on top of that, not only was my pain not witnessed, okay, not only was my pain not witnessed, but another layer started to wrap me in addition to that sort of sense of shame because I felt so alone. I felt so alone. And then in that state of feeling alone, trying to make my way through my gifts through what God had given me, you know, the beautiful things that God had given me, trying to stake out some kind of territory on these floating, dissipating, melting ice flows, you know, where no sure footing really could be found. Another layer began to wrap me. And that was this message that I was not worthy. I was bad. I was not worthy. I was only out for myself. Can you imagine, dear listener, a a daughter being told that she's only out for herself when all she's trying to do is survive? I mean, that's what was happening. I was being told I was only out for myself. I was selfish. When all I was trying to do, I was in, I was, I was struggling for my life. So this friend writes to me today and says, I had this dream that these layers of shame were pouring off of you, off of me, you see, because I was wrapped, 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 wrapped with shame. No one had seen what I'd gone through. Nobody had allowed me to bear my heart back then. So many people go through this. They go through life. They go through life. And incredible difficulties, incredible traumas, incredible tragedies. No one bears witness to that. And what happens? And I thank David Betrick for illuminating this for me. It, it It's enlightening. It's been enlightening. 
is that you begin to feel yourself unworthy of anything, everything deeply unworthy. So I was doubly wrapped. I was wrapped with never having been allowed to be seen in my suffering as a young child. And I was wrapped with the message that I was bad. I was not worthy of love, that I was selfish, that I was only out for myself. These were the messages they would come to me time, 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 and again, time, and again, time, through my entire life. I ended up becoming involved with people who would replicate that that message, you know, who would repeat that message. You see, this is the tragedy of human life. We repeat these things, you know. We don't do it consciously. It's just what's familiar. It's like the soup that we, you know, sort of have come to sort of, you know, live in, swim in, whatever it is. Our domain, awful as it is. Trauma bonding, you know, they talk about trauma bonding. You know, we're sort of formed by all this stuff. So my friend writes to me, from this dream and says I don't think of you as having much conscious shame but how do I know it's there dear listener because the littlest thing will will, will trip me up you know if I think that I've done something just a bit wrong or somebody sees me in a bit of a, a wrong light you know I keep things very I'm 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 really endeavor I really endeavor to to make sure everything is okay because I don't want to feel ashamed of anything it's so painful it feels like I'm being flayed alive to feel that I've done something that might be wrong or being you know seen in a a wrong way or seen in some kind of um, negative light is like being flayed alive and this is the reason why this is where it comes from I can only make this podcast because I just received this friend's dream about me. All right? It's like a mirror being held up in the most extraordinary way. And they say, I could feel it. I could feel those layers of shame, you know? Especially from that age, back when you were a teen. And then... At about the age of 15, this is what they're saying to me. You know, that's when I... That, so then in the stream, this is what the person's telling me, you know, you were 15 and you asked me, is it okay if I was really angry? If I could be really angry? And that anger was with a kind of, with a kind of intensity of presence, something that was barely leashed, that was profoundly intense. And you know, dear listener, that anger made sense. I was caged. There was no place for me to move. I had been left, abandoned, and then made wrong for just simply being myself. I mean, how awful is that? I was abandoned and left for no fault of my own at the age of six. And then I was made wrong 
for just simply being myself, for trying to survive, for just being who I was, that little girl, that little girl who was trying to make her way as she grew from seven to eight to nine to ten to eleven to twelve to thirteen to fourteen to fifteen to that point in this dream this person had, you know, of me at that at that age. That anger was already inside of me. Did I ever let it out then? Never. It would have been too, it would have unmade my world to let it out. I was too scared to let it out. And I've been scared ever since. Ever since. I've been scared to let out that anger, that natural anger. You know, the thing that a human being would naturally feel. You know, when they were treated in that way. Anger makes sense, you know. It's the flaming up of oneself, of one's own natural indignation, you know, at being accused of things that one is not guilty of, right? How many untold numbers of people suffer for no fault of their own, are imprisoned unjustly, are treated unjustly, you know, are are victims of cultural, racial, you know, any, any way that you want to characterize this, restrictions and prejudices and, you know, the, the strange human need to exert power over another. You see, that's what it really comes down to, frankly, I, now that I'm saying it, is this awful need for one person to exert power over another. And that's what was happening when I was young, is that there were people who were exerting power over me in this way, telling me that I was, you know, bad, selfish, all of these things, that I really hardly was. Have I done things that are selfish? Absolutely, but we're talking about something very, very, very deep, insidious, and very fundamental, it's coming, it's a different thing. It's where there's someone who has a marked interest and need, you know, to exert power over. And all violence, all domestic violence, all racial violence, you know, every kind of violence in this world can be boiled down to somebody, some group, some culture, whatever it is, country, endeavoring to exert power over others, another, a person, an individual. And it's awful. It is the very bane of our individual and collective lives on this planet. So, dear listener, when I got this email, I knew that there's something really significant about it. It opened a door into my own psyche. It was coming from somebody who had a dream about me. So I knew it was God speaking through that person to open a door to who I am, what I've been through. And you know, I'll always remember I had various conversations 
with the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the United States, it's a pretty incredible resource because they're there all the time, and this is all they do. This is this is their whole world, is to support people who are struggling, who have been abused in whatever way, shape, or form that takes. And I'll always remember that first conversation with the woman. Her name was Maria. She was just incredible. And she said, you know, Jess, this is about power and control. And that's all, you know. And I couldn't even relate to it at that point, you see. This whole thing hadn't even really landed for me. That that could be something that somebody was doing to me, that they were trying to exert power over me. I mean, here I am, you know, a professional woman, somebody who's self-actualized, somebody who's done a lot in their life, you know. Could it possibly be true that somebody had been exerting power over me, that that was their real motivation, power and control? I couldn't relate to it. But if I trace that moment in that conversation back to this dream, back to what I just was just reading here in this email written by this dear friend and how they dreamt that when I was 15... I was already really angry. You see? I suppressed that anger right up to now. It's a force, dear listener, you see. The thing about this is that it's a force. It's a natural result. That feeling is the natural feeling that comes from when one is in a situation where people have been exerting power and control over one. Think about how that has influenced and shaped the entirety of human history. Think about it. It can be boiled down to this. You know, we've come through successive levels of of, of the freeing of people, you know, from, from monarchies, from feudal kingdoms, from you know, through revolutions that have tried to free the individual, right? The French Revolution, the American Revolution. This is all about a bill of rights, the right of a person to have life, liberty, and to be able to pursue for themselves happiness, okay? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are inalienable rights, But look how they are destroyed, you know, squelched, denied in so many, in, you know, in in untold numbers of situations, in marriages, in communities, right? In states and countries, in many countries, in continents, on continents, in the world. Think about it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My dad, bless his heart and rest his soul, he's with me. You know, he really loved religion. 
he was a philosopher in the end. You know, he had been a philosopher of various things in his life, but in the end he was a philosopher of religion. That became his focus. And uh, he was a scholar of the Old Testament and of the New Testament, of it all. And I'll always remember he helped me write a paper that I delivered in Oxford, in England, at the Oxford Roundtable. And the subject of that paper it was inspired by a message that Jesus gave that how we treat the least of these, our brethren, is how we treat, really in essence, God. How we treat the least of these, the least of the people in, in our midst, is how we treat the greatest presence in our midst, the greatest presence, that which has crafted and shaped and created this universe. You see, we are given incredible power. God created us in his image, nothing less. Okay, nothing less. And he needs us to exert and express and bring forth the greatest possible manifestation of love. Love thy neighbor as thyself, right? The golden rule. Golden rule. So when I got this email, I knew I had to make this podcast. Because... All of these things happened to me when I was young and it was so painful. It was so painful. I was really struggling. My basic human rights were being denied the right to life. I had life, you know, and I was supported. But liberty and the pursuit of happiness. How significant is that? We are given an enormous responsibility to guard each other in this way, whether we're parents, friends, partners, husbands, wives, Whatever it is, whatever form our relationships take, imagine a world where we do everything and anything that we can to protect each other, each other's lives, each other's liberties. And the most beautiful thing that there is which in a way is the most individual and unique thing. Because each person has their own way of pursuing happiness, ultimately how they can be happy is a very unique thing. It's going to be different for me, for you, you know. But real happiness is very beautiful. 
And that's the golden rule, you know. So, dear listener, thank you for being there. I had to share this because this was a very unusual email and a very unusual message and a very unusual dream. But it hit the nail on the head. It really did. So God bless you. Take good care. Okay. Bye for now. Bye.